Um, today's scripture comes from Daniel 7 and uh, Revelation. Uh, last week we looked at Daniel 7 and today I want to look at Daniel 7 one more time and then look at Revelation. And so um, I'm going to read for you Daniel 7 verses 23 to 25 and then I'm going to read you a little bit from Revelation 4. Okay? This is the word of the Lord. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth uh, which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, for they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And this is Revelation 4, verses 1 to 4. Um, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos sees a vision, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed with white garments with golden crowns on their heads. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, election season is not over for us, in a sense, because today is a day that uh, Mosaic, we've been waiting for a long time. Uh, today we um, vote on uh, the very first elders of our church. Um, those of you who are fairly new to our church, uh, we became um, an independent church, uh, partnered with Chode Community Church, um, and we are in the process of setting up our own eldership for the very first time here at our church. And so uh, the five brothers who are up uh, for votes have been training quite a quite a long time and today is the day that we gather our hearts and we pray um, on these brothers and we vote um, with discernment with gratitude with prayer today at the congregational meeting it's a big day uh, for us and actually we have a really great text to help us to get there today um, in our Daniel series if you've been following along with us we've been looking at visions of hope uh, throughout the, the book of Daniel. And we've seen so many different kind of visions of hope, but they've all been glimpses of God. Um, throughout the weeks, if you think back, each vision of hope was a look at God and look at a different characteristic of God that gave us hope. So we saw a vision of his sovereignty in the midst of our trials. We saw a vision of his love in the midst of temptation. We saw a vision of his care in our chaos. We saw a vision of his kingdom in the midst of all the earthly empires. Uh, we saw a vision of his humility that affected our pride. We saw his purpose in our judgment, and we saw his ability in our futility. And last week, we saw a vision of his victory in our defeat. And, and these are all visions directly of God, different aspects of God that are supposed to give us hope as we live in the darkness of this world. This week, though, it's a little bit different because the vision of hope that we get today in the scriptures is not exactly a direct vision of God, but it's actually a vision of the church. 
we today are supposed to glean uh, a vision of hope from the saints um, or from uh, the church that is revealed, the people of God that's revealed in this apocalyptic literature, both in Daniel and in Revelation. And as we look at that, we're going to find out something really interesting and, and really magnificent about um, us as the people of God. We're going to find out today that we are called to be a vision of hope for each other and to each other. And that's what we see actually in Daniel and Revelation together. And so today we're going to look at a couple of different things. First, well, um, last week I wasn't able to look at every part of Daniel 7 because there's so much in there. Today we're going to look at the extreme evil that Daniel predicts will happen through his vision. But then in response to that extreme evil that's going to come to God's people, we're going to see a vision of hope in the church. And then finally, what we're going to see is not only a vision of hope in the church, but an additional vision of hope in the church's leaders, the elders. And in that, we're supposed to get strength and comfort to be able to stand up against the evil that's coming for us. And so um, let me say a prayer for us. Let's bow our heads as we come into God's word once more. Father, we pray for today's word. Uh, this word is from you to come and feed our souls. I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, not just the eyes of our heads, but the eyes of our hearts so that we can see what you have prepared for us. And so we want to look at you, but today we all also want to look at each other and help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, the first thing that we see uh, today as we look back on Daniel 7 is there's extreme evil that's coming for the people of God. And in verse 23 to 25, um, you see a vision of the fourth beast. If you were here last week or if you were listening in on last week, uh, Daniel 7 uh, gives us a vision of these four beasts that come out of the sea. And the sea representing the chaotic, scary things of life. Um, there are these four beasts that come out of the sea and come start coming toward the people of God, threatening them um, and bringing kind of uh, pain and suffering to them. But one of the beasts is actually set apart. One of the beasts is of particular interest to Daniel, and it's the fourth beast, the last beast that comes out of the sea. And today, I just kind of want to look at that with you together in this first point. So if you look at verse 23, it says, Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns... Out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and shall, another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. In verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. One of the things that's different about this fourth beast is that in this, on this fourth beast represented by horns are these ten kingdoms. And these ten horns are on this beast's head. Now, this is one of the things that trips trip us up during um, apocalyptic literature, but uh, stay with me. They represent these kings and kingdoms which will come forth from this fourth beast. Now, from these ten horns that are on the fourth beast, there is this one horn. Uh, it's called the little horn in some translations, or it's called the other horn in some other translations, but in verse 20 to 21 of Daniel 7, it says, um, about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn, or the little horn, that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn, this is the little horn, that had eyes and a mouth, that spoke great things, and seemed greater than its companions, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. 
Daniel, at the end of this vision, is left very disturbed at what he sees in this vision because he sees a direct assault against the people of God. And that's what this horn represents. Last week, we talked about code versus symbol. I don't know if you guys remember. One of the things we don't want to do with apocalyptic literature is to become obsessed with code, trying to crack the code. What is it exactly? Because the meaning of the vision actually comes through even though you don't know exactly what the things represent. So try not to treat Daniel and Revelation like code. Um, Treat them as symbols. They represent more than one thing. There's been a lot of interpretations for what this little horn is that brings this assault on God's people. Um, Probably the most popular interpretation is there was this uh, ruler named um, Antiochus um, Epiphanes, and he uh, was an intertestamental king in between the Old and New Testament, and he brought a lot of pain on the Jewish people. So a lot of people interpreted as that king. Others say it's the pope that uh, the Catholic Church and, and the pope have brought all sorts of confusion to the church, and so some people say it's the Pope and others say it's the Antichrist but and each one of these interpretations has its strengths and weaknesses but again we can't get caught up in breaking the code of Daniel we have to understand what the meaning is of the horn and the meaning of the horn is this there is going to be and is currently a direct assault on the people of God from um, evil forces from the spiritual realm And this comes through earthly kings, but it's this idea of a directed assault against us. It's saying that we, the people of God, are not just kind of incidental collateral damage, but there's actually an assault directed at us, the people of God, and we need to know that it's coming. You know, Jesus tried to warn us that this was coming for us. But it's hard for us, especially in the West, right, to accept it because our lives are fairly comfortable. Look at us. We're in a, in a kind of gathering, and we can do this. E- even in the midst of COVID-19, we can still gather. And we, it's hard to feel a lot of persecution against us all the time. And yet Jesus wanted us to know that it was coming. In Matthew 10, uh, Jesus warned us uh, with these words. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Here's this warning. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you, listen to this, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher. Hear that again. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. For if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? He warns us that persecution is coming to you. 
And although there are physical elements of what Jesus described here, they're going to flog you, they're going to drag you to court, you're going to have to flee. There are physical elements of it. But really the emphasis of it is this war of words, maligning these words that are going to come after you. And that's actually the thing that the horn is doing in Daniel 7 as well. He will speak against the Most High. Right? These words and ideas and these verbal attacks that come against the people of God, Jesus and the vision in Daniel are warning us, do not be surprised when these things come to you. Because the evil one is going to have a directed attack at the people of God using accusation, discouragement, division, condemnation, manipulation. You know, some of you today sitting here are deeply discouraged. And it's not just you being depressed, but it's the battle of the spiritual realm that's happening in you and in your living room and in your bedroom and in your mind. These attacks are not just from you. I want you to know that the evil one has set himself against us to bring discouragement into your heart, to bring accusation into your heart. As Jesus is saying, but I love you and I died for you and you are mine, the Satan, the Satan is saying to you, he's lying. These things are coming to you through this war of words that the little horn in Daniel, that Satan himself is going to bring to you. You will be maligned. And I don't want you to just think of this kind of in the, the, the big picture, but I want you to know that in your life, you will face the war of words. It's coming to you. This battle is coming into your life. Remember, these beasts are beasts that come out of the sea into your life. And this battle of words is going to happen to you. In the West, we like to think that we are the first generation of Christians who can be totally um, neutral and can avoid persecution altogether. And we believe that we could be those kinds of people that, you know, for most of church history, Christians knew that hardship was coming for them because of their faith. We, though, we actually believe that we're going to be the first generation of Christians who don't have to deal with that. And so when persecution comes to us in our lives, we do exactly what Peter says we shouldn't do. We act as if something strange were happening to us. We say, wait a minute, we're American. This shouldn't happen to us. You can't bring this into, into my life. I'm an American. I, I, I have rights. I have freedom. I have, you can't do, my brothers and sisters, in 1 Peter 4, Peter warns you, don't act like something strange is happening to you. Christians for all of time have known through scripture that this was coming. 1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory, of glory and of God rests upon you. Daniel 7, the vision of the horn tells us that there is going to be a directed assault that comes to us. And we have to wake up. You're not protected because you're an American. You're not protected because you're educated. 
You're not protected because of anything in your life. The spiritual forces are bent against you and you can't be surprised and taken off guard that these things come into your life. You try to hide the fact that you're a Christian at work so that you don't feel as weird. You try to hide uh, your faith in various aspects of your life and you try to hide your kids from the discomfort of um, having church interrupt their social lives, their sports and all this. And you try to hide and hide. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, there's no place to hide. We have to come to terms with the fact that we are aliens in this world and there are going to be points of tension. It's my job as your pastor to let you know that it's coming. And so... Be as wise as serpents, but be innocent as doves as you go out there. But it's coming. But today, I want to tell you that Daniel doesn't just give us this warning about this extreme evil that's going to come upon us, this assault, but also a vision of hope for us, a place of strength, a resource for us as we experience all these hardships It's not just us alone in our room trying to hold on to hope, but in the vision, we actually see a a resource for hope. There's hope in the vision of the church in Daniel 7. Uh, Let's go to verse 10 of Daniel 7. This is what it says. If you remember from last week, uh, this is a vision of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man after him. The Ancient of Days, which is supposed to give this overwhelming vision of God's power and sovereignty um, and his victory. Um, But underneath that, and that's the main vision, okay? That's the main thing that's supposed to give Daniel hope in the midst of all the things that he's going through and everything that we're going through. But I want to point you to actually a secondary vision, something that's tucked underneath this major vision that's supposed to also give us hope in verse 10. Speaking about the throne in verse 10, Daniel says, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. You know, tucked underneath this huge vision of the ancient of days, which is supposed to give us hope, there's actually another vision. And you have to remember who Daniel is. Daniel is someone who is persecuted. Everything that I said in the first point in the sermon, he would totally be nodding his head and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because Daniel saw this in his own life. He saw people burned alive. He saw people who were kidnapped. He saw people taken underground and suppressed because they believed in Yahweh, their God. He saw prayer made illegal in his nation, punishable by death, and he himself was thrown into a den of lions as the death penalty for praying in his own room. You see, Daniel is someone who understands a persecuted context, and I imagine that he feels very, very alone in Babylon. Do you get that sense when you read Daniel? That in all that he's going through, that he feels very alone, right? That maybe he's the only faithful one in the midst of all these people who are in Babylon, right? I I imagine it's akin to kind of how Esther must have felt in Persia, if you've ever read the book of Esther. How Joseph might have felt in Egypt, or how you might feel at your office, or how you might feel 
in your neighborhood, how you might feel getting off the bus at Port Authority and walking in the midst of Times Square. And sometimes, don't you get that feeling when you're listening to a praise song in your headphones or something like that? You feel like, I'm the only Christian. I'm the only one who knows and loves Jesus. And you just feel like you're in a very strange place. I imagine Daniel feels very alone. But look at this vision in verse 10. He sees for the first time a throng of witnesses, millions of people. If you do the math here, it's general math, like thousands times thousands, ten times times ten thousands, but it's millions of people as far as the eye can see of people who stood up against the beasts of this world, committed to God, and those who loved God and sang his praises for the first time. He sees this vision of these people of God, as far as the eye can see, that must have given Daniel so much hope because he's lived most of his adult life in Babylon where there's nobody that he could look at. There's no church he could look at. There's no group of people that he could look at and draw this kind of strength from. Have you ever heard your church sing praise songs behind you? Have you ever sat in worship and heard the voices of the congregation and not just the people on the worship team, but have you ever heard the the, the voices of your church singing the praises of God? It's a super encouraging thing to hear. Daniel never had that. I imagine this is such a vision of hope for Daniel because he's getting it for the first time and he's getting a sense of victory from the witnesses that he sees and he's probably thinking that's right there's more of us (laughs) that's right it's not just me and, and and it's not just that there's a lot of us but we are victorious people that's right God keeps his promises to us and he is good to us and he's going to make sure that all of us are going to be okay and he's going to keep us to the end This must have been such a strengthening vision of hope in the midst of all the evil that he's experienced, this vision of hope in the people of God. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that if you feel like Daniel in your life, I want to remind you that you are not alone, that that you also are a part of this throng of witnesses, the millions upon millions who are with you as you walk through Port Authority, who are with you as you go to your office, in your dorm room where you feel like you're the only one and nobody else cares about God's glory, I'm telling you, you're not alone. This vision of hope in God's people, that's you, that's us. And together, we have this vision of hope together. And one day, you will see this vision. You will see one day this vision. At the return of Christ, you will see millions upon millions of Christians. You will see French Christians. You will see Bolivian Christians. You will see Armenian Christians. You will see Sudanese Christians. You will see Lebanese Christians, Japanese Christians, Afghani Christians, Vietnamese Christians. You will see millions upon millions of people, and you will feel and understand, oh, I wasn't alone. Even though I was in a war of words, and discouragement was coming to my heart, division was coming to me and my friend, even though I was experiencing all things, I realized, ah, I wasn't alone. And I shouldn't have been so discouraged because I have so many brothers and sisters who I can look to, and they are a vision of hope for me. Today, 
I pray that you feel and understand that because that vision is for you, brothers and sisters. You're not alone. No matter how alone you may feel in your dorm, you're not alone. Even if you're the only Christian in your family, I've had that feeling. You're not alone because you have a throng of witnesses behind you. I want to take two steps um, for the rest of the sermon to bring this down to kind of like real life, you know, to the ground level. Number one, how this plays out in our life is that this is not just an abstract description of a cloud of witnesses, but this is actually supposed to be what we do for each other in the church. At Mosaic, in our church, we are supposed to be a vision of hope to each other. And we may not be millions and of you know, Lebanese descent and Japanese and Afghani. We might not have all of that or the numbers. But we as a community of faith are supposed to give that vision to each other in our community. That's the vision of hope that we're supposed to provide for each other. Can't you see, Daniel must have been so ministered to by this vision. Wouldn't it have been awesome if just a hundred of those people in his vision could come down out of the dream and be in his town? Wouldn't that be so strengthening for him? If just maybe a hundred, maybe 50, maybe like 30 of them could just come down from this abstract vision and just take real form in his life, that would be so powerful. He could be with them, you know. That's what the church is. You do have over 100 people out of that vision in your church who are there with you. But we have to become a vision of hope for each other. We have to become a cloud of witnesses for each other. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, this is what it's supposed to do for us. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But here's the thing, you have to feel surrounded. Do you see that? Since we are surrounded by the cloud of witnesses, we can run hard. But some of you don't feel surrounded at all because you are going the Christian life all by yourself. And you're not surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Especially in the midst of this pandemic, you have done it alone. And that's why you stopped running the race with any bit of strength or endurance because you're not surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. My brothers and sisters, we have to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses together because there is attack, there is a war of words that is coming against us it may not feel like the sword or it may not feel like you know, the police coming to knock down your door because you're praying in your room or you don't see extremists coming to take your Bibles away. You don't see that. It's much more like carbon monoxide than it is like bombs in America. But there's carbon monoxide in everyone's rooms. And we have to be a vision of hope to each other. In so many different ways, we have to provide the strength for each other, especially in the midst of COVID-19. We have to come together and we have to be this vision of hope for each other. Have you been? Have you done something in our community to strengthen someone else in our community? Because that's your calling. 
You are the cloud of witnesses. You are the vision of hope. Have you done something in this season to strengthen someone else in our church? To tell them, keep going. I'm surrounding you, so keep running hard. I challenge you today to be a vision of hope uh, for our church. You know, I got to experience this this past month um, to the women of our church. I just want to say from the deepest part of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Um, October uh, is a Pastor's Appreciation Month. Uh, Pastor's Appreciation Month. And what the women of Mosaic decided to do, uh, led by kind of the deacons, is they decided to come together and bless the pastor's wives. And so for the whole month of October, uh, we got all sorts of gifts and um, words of encouragement from the, the women of Mosaic. And they decided to strengthen the pastor's wives and also our children's director, uh, Rebecca. And it was so strengthening. Um, you know, because as a pastor, one of the things that's a reality is you actually spend a lot of evenings away from your family, um, right? And so uh, you, you miss a lot of dinners and you miss a lot of time. And, you know, as a pastor, you're kind of okay with that. But the person that ends up carrying a lot of that burden is your wife. And um, because I'm in visitations or counseling or meetings or prayer and things like that, it's the pastor's wives who often feel the most alone uh, because they're having to do a lot of things without their husbands. They're having to do dinners without their husbands and putting the kids to bed without their husbands and doing all the things that you're supposed to kind of do together and you end up not doing a lot of things together. You don't go to church as a family and things like that. And so what happens sometimes is the pastor's wives grow bitter. They grow bitter slowly, silently. And what happens is that bitterness becomes a foothold for the devil to step into the pastor's family. It's a spiritual attack. But the women of our church, they saw this, led by some of our deacons. And the women of our church, they saw this. And this month, this past month, we were bombarded bombarded with words of encouragement from the women of our church. Like every single night, we got cards, we got emails, we got texts just saying how um, encouraged they were. They're just like giving us, it was like a barrage of encouragement for a month. And I gotta tell you, it was so, so encouraging for our family to receive those words. Not only words, but baked goods. We gained so much weight this month, like eating everything that you guys sent. Um, so now we have to work it off. But we got so much. I mean, they sent, I didn't get anything personally, but it was all for Hime. Even though it was Pastor's Appreciation Month, <laughs> my wife got everything. But, you know, it was, it was the best thing you guys could have done. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, because you guys fought in the war of words for us, with us. Those words that you sent over, those are not just cards, but they are offensive spiritual attack. Not from the evil one, but from you guys. And you guys engaged in spiritual warfare with us, fighting the war of words, and we were so super encouraged. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's exactly what this is. The vision of hope that comes from the church. I was a beneficiary of it. And here's the other thing. Because it was for my wife, 
I actually saw another unique perspective. I saw what God must feel like when we encourage the church. Because my wife was so encouraged, and my wife was uh, the recipient of so much encouragement from you guys. I got to see maybe a glimpse of what God must feel like when we encourage his bride. The special blessing of not necessarily getting the encouragement yourself, but getting it, seeing your bride get it, your wife get it, and it's, that's such a special feeling. And God's bride is the church. And so when we encourage the church, brothers and sisters, God must feel the special strength and hope and encouragement that we bring to the church as well. This is the war of words. And you guys did it for us, so thank you. But today, I want to encourage you, please do it for one another. Please be a vision of hope for one another. That means that you have to learn how to have conversations with each other that transition into spiritual encouragement. Some of you have been having the same kind of carnal conversations with one another for years, and you can't figure out how to transition to these, these spiritual conversations. You're gonna have to learn how to do that. You're gonna have to take some risks. You're gonna have to risk some awkwardness to get to that state, but I encourage you, please do it for one another because your brothers and sisters are under attack from the horn of Daniel 7, from evil directed attacks at them, and it's all words. It's discouragement, it's division, it's accusation, all the stuff that Satan uses against them. We need you guys. We need each other, you know? Please be a vision of hope to one another. Since we have such a cloud of witnesses surrounding us then, we can run hard and run farther because we have a vision of hope here. Not just abstractly in that vision up there, the millions of Christians from these different nations, but we have them right here. Please be a vision of hope to each other. Last thing, quickly. Not only are we supposed to be a vision of hope to each other as a church, but actually there's a particular office of people who are supposed to provide hope for the entire church, and that office is the office of the elder. When you look in Revelation 4, it's interesting because the vision in Revelation 4 and in Daniel 7 look super similar, and that's because it's a vision of God's throne. But when you look in Revelation, there's something extra. Not only do you see um, God on his throne, not only do you see the cloud of witnesses, but you see something else. And I want to read this to you again in Revelation 4, 1 to 4. And look at the last verse with me. Um, Verse 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. There is is an additional vision of hope around the throne, and that is the vision of the elders, 24 elders. And what this kind of represents is the 12 tribes of Israel with the 12 apostles, right? Old Testament people of God, New Testament people of God, 24 uh, representing the whole church, right? But the elders in particular are supposed to give this vision of hope You know, they're supposed to look up and they're supposed to see elders. They're elders up there in this vision of hope. And what the elders are supposed to do is supposed to stand between God and man and provide hope for a languishing people. 
Now, what does that look like kind of here down on earth? What it looks like is shepherding. And First Peter, uh, Peter who said in the fourth chapter, don't be surprised by these trials that are coming to you. And then right after the next chapter, he says to the elders, after he tells the church, look, persecution is coming. All of this stuff is coming to you. And then he turns to the elders and then he says in First Peter 5, elders, shepherd them. Protect them. Help them. First Peter 5, 1. To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. I'm doing this too, he's saying. And as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in glory to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. Be shepherds to this flock. Help them out. Protect them. Love them. And through that, give them hope. Because your people will suffer. It's definitely coming. Do not be surprised if your people experience fiery trials. But my elders among you, I call you shepherd the flock of God. Today we put into place the first elders of our church. For two years they've been training. Longer than maybe we wanted, but it's good. Um, And all throughout the call has been shepherd the flock of God. Protect them, feed them, love them, help them. They are not a board of directors over our church. They're here to shepherd the flock of God with me. Because suffering will come. It says here that it's important that the elders are witnesses of Christ's suffering as they shepherd the flock of God. What does that mean? It means that they understand that suffering is attached to Christ's suffering and that the suffering that the church experiences is not meaningless. You see, he says, as witnesses of Christ's suffering, go and shepherd the flock. What does that mean? It means go to a suffering people and interpret their suffering and say, your suffering is not for nothing because the suffering that you are experiencing is connected to the suffering of Christ and because Christ suffered for you. And in his resurrection and redemption, he has implanted meaning into your suffering. You're not suffering for nothing. You are suffering with Christ, sharing in his sufferings. And because of that, you can have hope in your sufferings. Don't you see what what Peter is saying? Elders, go and do that. To a people who are suffering and think, I'm suffering for nothing. Go to them and share with them Christ's sufferings. You know the cross. You know Calvary. You know the gospel. So as shepherds of the church, go and implant meaning into people's sufferings. Shepherd them. Shepherd them well. And show them the eternal things related to their suffering. But I want to warn you, the five men who are up for eldership. Chris, William, Brian, Stan, and Ken. If you decide to shepherd the flock, you will also suffer. You will also suffer. You will also experience burdens that other people in our church will not experience. But here's a word of hope. In verse four, Peter says, but when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When you shepherd as an elder, they might take your strength away. You might be attacked. 
you might be drained, you might be burdened. You know, all these things are going to be taken away from you because of ministry, but we do it because we know that there is an unfading crown of glory that cannot be taken away in eternity. And so when you are tired, shepherd well, knowing that Christ will reward you. And to Mosaic, today as we vote on our elders, I want to say one more thing to you. Uh, That might, might sound shocking, but maybe not really. Your elders, whoever you put into place, they will fail you. They're not going to live up completely and perfectly to what I just said. Okay? Because they're not Jesus. They will fail you. I promise you they will at some point or another. But I encourage you, when your elders fail you, do not act like something strange were happening to you. but strengthen your elders. Help them in the war of words just like you helped my family this past month. Don't be just judgmental against your elders, but love them, help them, because they're also your brothers who are going through the war of words with you. Please share encouragement to them. Please give words of strengthening to them, and please love them too. So today, as I close, I want to ask you, Mosaic, you are um, a vision of hope to us. Have you been? If not, I encourage you, reach out. Reach out with words to somebody that God put on your heart. Encourage somebody. Engage in the offensive spiritual war of words. And you will be a vision of hope to people who are in our church Elders, shepherd the flock of God well. Today, as you are voted in, I pray that you hear the call and that through our church, our members, and through our church leaders, that even though evil comes to us, even though persecution comes to us and directed attack comes to us, I pray that we will, because we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, that we will have strength to keep going. We will run with endurance together because God has given the church to be a vision of hope for the church. Let's pray together as we close. And today, instead of praying for ourselves, what I ask you to do is, can we pray for our community and our elders, our church and our elders? And if I can just ask one more prayer request, can you pray uh, for Pastor Yosef? Pastor Yosef was installed um, as the community pastor of our church. And his role is to help us to engage in this kind of community that strengthens um, the church through community and love, through encouragement. Can we pray for our brother, Pastor Yosef? Can we also pray for our small group leaders? Can we pray for our church? that we as a community would come together and that we would be a vision of hope to each other because each one of us languish underneath the attacks of the evil one, of the little horn who speaks against the Most High and against his people. Let's pray for our community and let's pray for the elders that the Lord will give us an additional vision of hope that will help us to run the race hard and to surround us with a cloud of witnesses 
Let's pray for Mosaic. Let's pray for Mosaic's leaders. And let's begin to engage in the offensive spiritual war of words. Let's pray together. together as a church and we pray for those who languish underneath the war of words those to whom Satan has said that they're not worthy I pray that you would speak the gospel to them so that they would say that's right I'm not worthy but Christ is my lamb I pray oh God that you would be with those who are feeling division I pray that you would bring unity and healing I pray for those in our church who are languishing under suffering and spiritual attack that you would send our church members to go and to be with them and surround them as a cloud of witnesses so that they know, that's right, I'm not alone in this. And that's right, we are victorious in this. I pray, oh God, won't you send our church to our church to be a vision of hope. And I pray that you would begin today, even as people are have their heads bowed right now in prayer that you would convict some of us to reach out in an email, a phone call, a text or something that they would engage in the war of words to encourage and to strengthen. And Father, we pray today also, especially for our elders, uh, these brothers who have gone through this training and have said to you, even in the midst of their trepidation, those who have said, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me to shepherd the flock. Send me to lead. Send me and use me as your servants. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Father, as we go into our congregational meeting after this service, I pray for your wisdom, but also for unity. And that it would be evident to us that God is with us, and that God is blessing us. I pray today that you would be with us. And now as we respond to you, God, and sing this beautiful song, this song that was taken out of Revelation, I pray, give us now a vision of hope in a church that stands together like the throng of witnesses, singing, worthy is the Lamb, seated on the throne. We crown you now with many crowns because you reign victorious, high and lifted up. Father, as your throng of witnesses sings this song, I pray you would encourage the church through our worship together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all rise, respond with this song, and also with our gifts um, as we give our offering. But let's become the cloud of witnesses together and sing this song together. <laughs> 